All right. I found a story this week from a guy named Andy Johnson. He was, uh, he's one of the authors of the, uh, it's called the Nine Mark series by Mark Dever. If you've uh, read any of his things, uh, they have nine different books about different parts of the church. And Andy Johnson wrote uh, one of these books on mission. And he was talking about, uh, or he, he actually told this story. It says, I remember the first time I rented a car while briefly living in Turkey. My in-laws were visiting, and my wife and I wanted to drive them to the ruins of Ephesus. The rental company gave us an upgrade to a new and very expensive European sedan. Excellent. Everything was going great. The car was going just fine. Until the little light came on and it needed gas. So I pulled into a gas station, and I was smart enough to know that the, gas ran, or that the car ran on gasoline. However, when I pulled up to the gas pump, the uh, uh, attendant came out and asked me if I wanted benzene or motoring. Now somehow, in all my vocabulary training, the, the fuel vocabulary hadn't quite made it into my language lessons. Do I pick motoring? Do I pick benzene? For a, for a moment, I actually considered just picking one and hoping for the best. We needed to get going. We needed to get where we needed to go. Then I had a vision of what the wrong fuel might do to a car worth most of a year's salary. Steve's like, oh yeah, yeah, Steve knows. He might have even had some experience with it. I don't know. He said, so I began a five-minute round of hand gestures nozzle sniffing, and finally Turkish dictionary consultations. And it turned out that the Turks call gasoline benzene and diesel oil motoring. The attendant was highly amused at my expense, but I had to be sure because no matter how good the car or my intentions, trying to run it on the wrong fuel would not have been pretty. Folks, the right fuel matters. It matters that we get the right fuel. And at a time in the life of Crossroads where you guys are adjusting the mirrors, checking for directions, getting a fresh coat of gray paint, today we're going to make sure that your gas tank is full with the right kind of fuel, and that is the gospel. Today will be about the gospel, the thing that unites us and brings us all together. It's the reason that we live, and it's the thing that saves us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you will open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And let's read it. We're just going to read the entire... We're going to read down to, chapter, uh, to verse 14. Revelation chapter 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne... A scroll with writing on both sides. It was sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then... One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw, like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one of them had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne 
and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their numbers was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four creatures, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What a beautiful passage that we have here. Bow your heads with me uh, and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for such a beautiful word. Uh, just a vision of heaven that you, that you uh, pulled back the, the curtains and we can see how the Son is glorified. Lord, I pray that right now in this time you would, um, you would bring your message out with clarity, that you would uh, prick our hearts, and Lord, that we might see your gospel clearly. Lord, that is the fuel that we want to run on. There's a lot of other things we would like to run on, a lot of other things that we think give us energy and make the car go. But Lord, it is your gospel and your gospel alone that does that. Make that very clear to us this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So at the end of the Apostle John's ministry, the Lord took him away to the island of Patmos, which is near, the, near modern day Greece. And Revelation 1 tells us that God sent an angel down to heaven, or down from heaven, uh, to see John. And it took John... Into heaven, if that's, I, I don't know if that was a physical or, or a vision. But John was able to see what was in heaven. So John was immersed in everything that he saw. And then he was given a command to testify to what he had seen. And that's how we have the book of Revelation. He recorded everything that he had uh, seen. Now I believe, as I think most scholars would too that Paul had a similar experience um, in 2 Corinthians 12. I think he, he, he says, you know, there was a man I know that was caught up to the third heaven. I think that was really Paul saying that was me, but he didn't want to call attention to it. But he also shared that he wasn't allowed to share at that time. The thing with John was, as God told him, you, you've seen it, now you go and share both of these experiences for both of these men informed their theology. And so today, we hope to take this one beginning scene of John's testimony so that it might inform our theology about our God. Now this is probably one of my most favorite passages in all of Scripture because it demonstrates true, unadulterated worship of the Savior and the King of the world. And most importantly... This passage teaches us something about the gospel. So today, my goal is that through seeing this exaltation of Christ in Revelation 5, we might understand more deeply about what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross. So with that said, let's, let's dive back into Revelation. Let's just kind of talk through it uh, and see what, what we can find. So you open up with the Father. He's sitting on his throne and he has in his hand a scroll. Now, there's a, some debate about what could be written in this scroll, but, but I think most would say that this is the will of the Father for how eternity will play out. It's the end times, as we know from the rest of Revelation, but it's also the, the, the plans for heaven and for hell in eternity. Now, it says that it was sealed by seven seals. Now, in those days, kings would write messages... And then they would use hot wax, they would put a, a, a piece of a wax on it, they, they would use hot melted wax, put it on there, and each king had a ring that was specific to him. So he would pour the wax on and he would then take his, his ring and stick it down in there and it would make a nice imprint of the king's ring. Now he did this so that the recipient of this message would know two things. Number one, it came from the king. There's no other ring like it, you can't manufacture it. So he would know it, it, that it came from whoever, from the, the king. Now, 
What it also did was, is because it was sealed, the seal was placed on the, the edge so that the recipient would also know that the message hadn't changed. No one went in there and altered this message. It was from the true king, and it was the true message. That was the purpose of seals back in the days of the kings. So then, so the father has this scroll. Now it's time for the angels to announce and ask, who is worthy to open up this scroll? Who is worthy to lay out and to enforce the will of the kingdom? Now verse 3 tells us that they could find no one. No one on heaven, no one in heaven or on the earth had the authority to open the scroll or even to look inside of it. Now it says that John wept. He wept constantly. He wept and wept. Why would John be so sad? Why would he be uh, so distraught? It's because if no one can execute the will of the Father, then what's going to happen? If eternity can't be carried out, there's no one to execute it. Then what will happen? If God cannot execute his own will, then is he even God? Heaven will be disappointed. All that, that lay before him would be, it'd be a big letdown. And you mean to tell me no one? There's not a person. There's not anyone, not an angel who could do it. What about Abraham? He has a pretty impressive resume. God even promised him that he would be a blessing to all of the nations. Maybe he is worthy. No, Abraham, he disqualified himself when he worshipped other gods. When he committed adultery and when he lied. Surely Moses could. Moses, God gave Moses the law for goodness sake. No, Moses, he disqualified himself too. He got angry at God. He's guilty of murder. What about David? David's probably the best candidate because David was a king. And David knows what it takes to execute the will of of the kingdom he knows how to to advance the kingdom surely he can do it he's used to this kind of thing no david too disqualified himself guilty of murder and adultery all right so maybe it's something with the old testament maybe there's a new testament figure what about paul he paved the way for the church age he endured persecution Surely he is worthy. If anyone's worthy, surely he is worthy. But no, there was a time that Paul hated Jesus and he is guilty of murder. John wept because if everyone in the hall of faith was unworthy, then who could be worthy to open the scroll? How can the will of God continue if everyone on earth and in heaven was disqualified? And then John, in his weeping, gets a nudge from one of the elders. And the elder says, cheer up, buttercup. Do not be afraid. How dare you weep in the king's presence? Have you not forgotten? And then we have this great verse in verse 5. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seven seals. This verse sends chills up my spine every time that I read it. This is the position and the authority only fit for Jesus Christ. The elder called him a lion. The lion, if you, I mean, we know what a lion is. It's the king of the wild. It's the majestic one that stands atop of his perch. And he watches over the entire kingdom. And at first glance, the lion looks controlled. He looks calm. Until someone threatens his kingdom. Someone threatens in his kingdom or to take his place in the kingdom. And then the claws come out. Then he is ferocious and he will protect his kingdom with vengeance. This is Jesus and he has the authority to open the scroll. It also gives them another title, the root of David. Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. So Jesse is David's father. And a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the, the Lord. 
You see, David was the revered king, the one who ruled with great authority over Israel. Israel listened to him. They obeyed him. David was the one that God chose to lead Israel at his time. But behold, the root of David, the very one. You know, David, David's leading. But the root of David, the same spirit that David ruled in, if, if, if the plant's great, imagine with the root, imagine the, the, the base. That is Jesus. David just stood in the shadow. He was foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And this Jesus has the authority to open the scroll. So then at this time, the music kind of gets a little bit deeper. Have you ever seen uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and all the lights, you know, they're kind of everywhere. And then they all just focus in on the center all at, at one time. This happens in heaven. Everyone turns their attention to the center of the room. The great lion, the great root. Let's see him. And out steps a baby sheep that has been beaten and abused. It's a weird kind of dichotomy here. You're expecting just this great leader, this great figure, but it's a baby lamb. This lamb walks up to the, the, the father. The father gives him this scroll. The father gives the, the, the plans of eternity to the son. And the son assumes the role only meant for one. Though beaten and shattered, the 24 elders, they saw this complete spirit of God on him. They knew that he was the one that was worthy. Though broken and tattered, the sheep was the one that the Father sent to accomplish the dirty work on the cross. And now it was time for the Father to exalt the humble lamb to the roaring lion by lifting him up to the highest role in the kingdom. For once he was seen by all of his grace, but now it was time for the heavens and the earth and the lake of fire to see him. In all of his glory. All 24 elders and the worshiping creatures fell down before the lamb. For who could stand in the presence of him? Then they gathered their harps and they started playing wonderful music in honor of him. And then it says, each one delivered to Jesus the golden bowls filled with incense. And then the, it, it tells us what this really means, what this symbolizes. And it's the prayers of, the God, of God's people. Prayers of thanksgiving for salvation. Prayers of praise to the Lamb. Prayers of faith in this Lamb. Some of the prayers were for the glory of the Lamb. All these prayers were put into a bowl and offered to the Son as a gift to the King. This kind of reminds us of the wise men who brought gifts to, to Jesus when he was in the manger. These gifts, they come in awe and wonder and appreciation for his obedience to the point of death. Then the elders erupted in a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. For you purchased people for, for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then all the angels joined in. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then all of heaven, all of the earth, on the sea, and those in hell said, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. This e event, when it takes place, will be a universe-wide event. Everything that had breath at one time, everything that has breath at that time, plus the angels, plus the demons, and Satan himself, will have a front row seat to the inauguration of Christ Jesus as the presider over the kingdom of God. At this moment, every person will get on his hands and his knees and will bow to the Son. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says, And being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the Son earned that place of authority in heaven. The Father gave this prized position to him because the Son worked for it. He stepped down from heaven to earth to die in the place of men. Men who would work all of their lives but never be able to obtain right standing before God because of his sin. O sinner, behold the gospel. Behold also this truth. Some will bow willingly before the exalted son, and some will bow with gritted teeth. But all will bow. So if this is true, If God the Father has indeed given the earth to his Son to rule, then what shall we say? What shall we do? What do we we make of this? For us, it means that our eternity rests at the hands of Jesus. As king, he will assume the throne and assess all that has been given to him. Everything will be tested to prove its worthiness before the king will allow it into his presence for eternity. And yes, this means that we will be tested for our worthiness before allowed to live in God's presence for eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things while in the body. This was a message given to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, you would presume, are believers. Does we all, we all must appear? Does that mean that believers will have to go through this too? I mean, I read this and I don't think there's any other way to read it other than to say yes. Every last one of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christian, make no mistake. You cannot be acquitted unless there's a trial. We will all be put on trial. Romans 14 10 through 12 echoes the same thing. It says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Some of them, instead of saying the judgment seat of God, says the judgment seat of Christ. Different manuscripts say different things. For it is written, as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Paul quotes Isaiah 45, which I read earlier. To come to this very thing. Oh sinner, behold the gospel. We will have to stand in front of God. Everyone, this, must, this means that each of us must answer for how we have been stewards on this earth. With the time that we've been given. With money. With responsibilities. And with the glory of God that has been entrusted to us. We must give a rationale for why we sinned. The way that we did. Now I don't know about you, but this theological truth, if it truly is true, it makes me want to sweat. It makes me nervous. You mean to tell me I have to give an account for every second of my life? Oh, absolutely. For every penny that I've been entrusted? You bet. For every thought that has come into my mind? For every temptation that I gave into? Oh yeah, God is investing life and breath into you and one day he will ask you for a return. I don't know about you, but I I think I joined Solomon in Ecclesiastes when I will say I have nothing to return to God except a a meaningless life. God's return on investment with me is not, not really panned out. On that day... When I enter the the gates of heaven, I'll be ushered to a great courtroom where Jesus will decide if I am worthy to be part of his heavenly kingdom. And as I walk through, I make my way to the podium. And I I look down and notice that I'm in a 
orange jumpsuit. Look around and see angels and saints watching as my trial takes place. The gavel will wrap. The judge will walk out. And he will take his seat upon the highest seat in the room. Then he will read into the official record my charges. And it will feel like eternity. And among all of the things that he will read, I will at least hear these ten things. Maybe you'll remember the theme of them. Number one, you made yourself a God and you did not give me the proper place in your life. Number two, you moved your lips, you swayed back and forth and you sang, yet you did not worship me truly. You knew it. You used my name and you told people that you would pray for them. Yet their name never reached my ears. You spent your Lord's day, my day, doing what you wanted and you did not spend it with me. There were other things that took higher priority. You disobeyed your father and your mother by doing these things in secret to hide them from their just discipline. You dishonored them. You hated your brother and you gossiped about him. Your brother who I formed in the womb, you murderer. You committed adultery in your heart and your mind with your eyes against one of my precious daughters. You stole what was rightfully mine. You didn't give it to the poor like I commanded you to. You told me that you wanted to be a blessing to the world. But I I saw right through it. I knew it. You were lying. You wanted it for yourself. Last one, number 10. You saw what the Lord had. It's money, it's possessions, and fame. And you lunged after it. And Jesus, after, you know, reading my charges, put the paper down. He'll look at me and say, Mason... How do you plead? Now the ball's in my court. And right there, getting on my hands and knees, I will confess, Jesus, you are Lord, and I am guilty. Oh, sinner, behold, this, this is the gospel. You see, you and I will stand before a holy God. We will be deserving of prosecution to the fullest extent of the law. We will be staring down the barrel of his wrath. And how can you blame him? We had one job, to glorify and honor him. In fact, he gave us ten commandments of how we should do it. Yet, not only did we fail to do our job, we created a net negative by robbing God of the glory only fit for him. Isn't that interesting, though, that what was it that got Satan kicked out of, of heaven? Kicked out of God's presence in the first place. It was stealing glory from God because he thrusted after God's position. Now we find ourselves in the presence of God in heaven. Now God has a gavel in his, in his hand with the same charge to our name. Now, can you see the folly at this moment? Can you see how it would be foolish and, and how it would just take gall, to be honest, for anyone in that moment to say, Yes, God, I know that I have failed, but I've been a good person. Will you just have a little grace and maybe a little compassion too? No, at that point, it will be too late. See, the judge isn't supposed to have compassion in the courtroom. Their job is to be fair to all sides. Their job is to judge eye for eye, tooth for tooth, no more, no less. And here stands in the presence of this judge a criminal that has broken every law in the book. Now, human judges would be right to throw the book at them and to sentence them to the death penalty. We stand condemned to death because of our sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive 
with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You see, after reading my guilty verdict and my sentence to, to, to death, Jesus will stand up and he'll take off his judge robe. Underneath it will be a bright white robe. The courtroom waits in anticipation for what will come next. He steps off of his high place and he makes his way beside me. Judge, what are you, what are you doing? He stands at the podium and says, Your Honor, I stand as a representative of Mason. I speak on his behalf. Your Honor, you have sentenced death in this case, and your judgments are beyond fair. May I take the punishment of death so that Mason can live. Consider my death his death sobbing on the floor I will bow before my king my eyes teary because of the graciousness of his gift he'll pick me up hold me tight and say four simple words I love you son Tears flow like a river. This man accepted the punishment I deserved because he loved me. Jesus will then walk back up to the judgment seat, put his robe back on. says, Mason, your guilty sentence has been transferred to that man in the white robe. He's guilty. He paid your price. And you are now free. Go and enjoy fellowship with our Father. Oh, sinner, this is the gospel. Romans 3, 26 says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is right in his judgment, yet... He also makes things right by his sacrifice. Since 1900, there has been 90,547 federal inmates that requested clemency from the President of the United States. These are federal prisoners, not state prisoners. About 16% of those have been granted. 14,491 federal prisoners received full pardons from their prison sentences. 16%. Something would... I, I would tend to think it was a little higher than what I expected it to be. But our God grants every request for clemency. In the United States, the president may get five minutes to review your profile before determining if you are worthy to be set free or remain in prison. Five minutes, you're just a number, you're just a piece of paper. The good and the bad. Our God's not like that. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. And his decisions are much more informed. He sees all angles. With one stroke of a a pen, the president can just make a prisoner's sentence go free. Just wipe it out, blot it out like it never happened. Now, I might suggest to you that this is a bit unjust. You have an entire legal process with hearings, of trials, of depositions, of juries and appeals. We have a constitution and there's all this in place. With the goal of getting to a point where the punishment fits the crime. That's what the end goal is. Yet the president can... Make all of this null and void. You would say, how, how much 
that that must be a slap in the face to victims, right? But our God became the victim because it would mean setting you free. The death sentence didn't just get wiped away. It wasn't just wiped off of the, of the official record. No, it was just transferred. Jesus still fulfilled the death sentence. But our God, rich in mercy, he was the one that did that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You thought that was good news. That your, that, that, that your sins have been paid for. There's still something lingering though. You, you put someone to death. But wait till you hear this. While our sin put him on the cross, he didn't stay there. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave so that he could rightly ascend to the highest throne in the land. Oh, sinner, behold the gospel. He is alive. Jesus not only has authority over life, but he has the authority over death, over sin, and Satan himself. And basically, what Jesus says, it goes. Sinner, if he says you are guilty, you are guilty. But saint, if he says you are free, you are free indeed. Now the Father has given the Son, the earth, as his inheritance. And the good and gracious King is ruling from his holy throne. And in fact, the Son, in his, in his place on his holy throne, has a project. One of his first projects as King is to save as many who will listen from the eternal flames of hell from which he will rightly send them. He has compassion for all of us who were once lost sheep, but bound for the cliff. Those who are called his, who place their faith in Jesus Christ, we get to work with Jesus on this project by proclaiming the news of the availability of salvation to the world. We've all heard Matthew 28, 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But do you know the verse that comes before that? It says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples. Disciples. We serve as an extension of his authority by the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel with our deeds and with our mouths. Oh, how this salvation may be made known so that others can receive the gracious gift of Jesus. I invite each one of you in this room to respond to this message today. If this is the first time you've heard this message, then I invite you to respond in two ways. The first way is through faith and belief in the message that you heard. It's the understanding that you do indeed stand guilty before God, but you trust Jesus and His saving grace to restore the relationship between you and God. You place your trust in Him to intercede on your behalf by confessing that he is Lord and he has the power and the authority to save. The second reaction to this, and it's, it's this. Because you believe that God has saved you, it's only natural to turn from your wicked ways called repentance. If you recognize Christ as your king now, then you should submit to his authority now. There's no reason to wait. Get into his word, gather with believers and grow in your knowledge of his love, his ways, his truth, and this very message, the gospel. If you have heard this message for all of your life, I've been in church since I was a little baby. I've heard this. This is nothing new. That I invite you to respond in two ways. The first way is through faith. This is the belief and the message that you just heard. 
It is the understanding that you stand guilty before God, but you trust in Jesus Christ and his saving grace to restore the relationship between you and God. You place your faith in him to intercede on your behalf because you confess that he is Lord and has the power and authority to save. The other way I uh, would, would suggest you to respond is through repentance. Because you believe that God has saved you, it is only natural for you to turn from your evil ways. If you recognize Christ as your king now, then submit to his authority now. There is no reason to wait. Get into his word, gather with believers, and grow in your knowledge of his love, his ways, and his truth. This good news should never grow old in the mouths and the hearts and the minds of God's people. And our tank should always be full of the gospel. Now, I wasn't planning on doing this, but uh, I want to go to um, Second, Second Peter. Let me try to find it. Second Peter. actually 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. That's the sweetest sound when the Bible is being opened. Chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that it may, uh, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We talked about this uh, a month ago in our small groups. Um, you know, it says that, you know, it, like newborn babies, we should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We shouldn't have this idea that as a baby believer, you learn the gospel. And then as you grow, then you're like, okay, let's tack on a few more things. We're going to tack on the end times. We're going to tack on all these other doctrines. That mature believers, yeah, they, they mastered the gospel a long time ago. We're just going to start focusing on these other things. No, what a mature believer does is they master the, the gospel and they just learn it deeper. That will have implications in their life. That is the power by which sin is, is defeated in the life of a believer. Romans makes clear, we are powerless against sin. Our flesh is powerful. The only way to defeat the flesh of ourselves, our own sin nature, is by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit who will, who will see to it that you become more and more like Christ. We seek to become godly. We are striving towards godliness, as Second Timothy says. We strive towards godliness by disciplining ourselves. Guys, we must do this. We must discipline ourselves in the ways that the Lord has shown us. Reading the Bible every single day. Every day. I'm calling on you to read the Bible every day. To meditate on scripture. Not only read it, but, but to read it and then be able to put it down and five, month, five minutes later remember what you just read. Put it in your heart. Oh, if I had so much more time, I would explain ways that you can make this possible. Pray. Pray through scripture. That's the best way to Pray. Return God's words back to him. Fast. When you fast, you, you forsake even good things so that you can focus on God. For my spiritual disciplines class, we had to do this twice. Both times I hated it while it was happening. Oh, I was hungry. But oh, my soul was full. Because I focused on the, 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 the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, we have been saved. 
we only know, we can only foresee our lifetime. 70, 80, if you're lucky, 90. If you're really lucky, maybe 100. There is eternity waiting on the other side. We will be doing the very same thing there that we are doing here. Reading, worshiping, praying, singing. It's the very same thing. Here's what the difference is. That thing here that makes your mind go, oh, I wonder what I have to do after church. Or, oh, man, I just, oh, I'm really burdened by this one thing. When you are here amongst the believers, that's what you're, you're thinking of. It is hard. There are, there are barriers put in place. That to, it's hard to fully surrender to God. In heaven, there will be no barrier. Our soul will just rejoice as we work in heaven, as we sing in heaven, as we glorify God in heaven. Jesus Christ accomplished so much on the cross. If we would just, uh, if we would just understand it, it would have so many implications to the way that we work, to the way that we play. We will look at our workplaces not just a place to earn money so that we can live. No, our workplaces will be places that we will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a mission field. This salvation is available. You're doing a disservice to your friends if you don't share. A disservice to them if they do not have the opportunity to hear about the salvation of Jesus Christ. As you live, as you work, this message of the the, the gospel should fuel everything that you do. Blessing and honor and glory and power. I forget the whole list. All of those things we ascribe to the Lord because he is good. He is good and he has saved us. Well, we didn't deserve it. That's the God that that we serve. Bow your heads with me. Oh, Father God, today we behold the gospel. Lord, there are parts about this gospel that we don't particularly like. It's not easy to uh, hear and to be foretold about an event that will happen in each one of our own lives, which is a standing before you, hearing the guilty sentence put on our head. We think, no, 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 no. Oh, yes, Lord, you have declared it. As surely as I live, you have declared it. But God, you are rich in mercy. You are rich in compassion. And your love has been extended to us. It has withstood the test of time. Lord, this gospel is being choked out by the world. This gospel is being silenced. At least there's attempts to. Why? Because they can't get over the fact. Sinners can't get over the fact that we stand guilty before you. Lord God, if they could only just realize the other part of the story, which is your saving grace, your compassion for us, might they accept it. Lord, may this gospel fuel where Crossroads is going. It's Crossroads... uh, This body of believers here charts out what the near and far future will look like as you are working alongside um, believers here as they are working. Lord, may your will be done. May the one that you have picked to lead this congregation, Lord, may he be on fire for the gospel and nothing else. May that be the fuel for everything that he does. 
Lord, may he lead, that con- may he lead this congregation in doing the same thing of loving your gospel, understanding your gospel, understanding how your gospel should be lived out. Lord, I thank you. Every head still bowed. Every eye still closed. If, if, um, if this is the first time that you've heard this message and you realize and you know that you have been uh, that you are guilty and you also see that Jesus is the only remedy and you see what he's done and you place your faith in him will you respond to him silently at your chair you and God doesn't have to be this but I'll give you a form that you could pray Lord I am a sinner I know it I am empty yet you died as a payment for me and you rose from the dead showing that you have authority over everything. Lord, to you I know I will bow in heaven regardless of where I stand now. But Lord, I'm choosing today to bow before you and to commit my spirit to you. Lord, fill my life. I have faith in you. And I pray also with believers here. Lord God, may this message never, um, never be stale on our hearts. May we never have the pride to think, I've got the gospel co- covered. I, I understand that. No, Lord, bring it before our eyes daily bring our guilty standing before you daily Lord we cannot be more gracious for your gift we thank you for your gift of your son but we also thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is within us to testify on our behalf the Spirit testifies that we are your children as our spirit testifies that we are your children by the establishment of two witnesses. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your, your son. Show us how to grow deeper in that. Lord, wait, may we never uh, miss the gospel. It saved us, but it also helps us to live. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.